Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. Thank you. How strong is the anointing here as we just heard the testimony of the testimony of what God has done as we were in worship together wow I've missed that and I've longed for it yeah we are today and we can be together in the house of God what a privilege so I want to say welcome to the first post-covid restrictions time this is an, a really a great time God has been so good to us and to the church and one of the testimonies for the church is that we've got through this time with so many businesses closing and so many people not getting salaries, and the church was able to pay salaries and pay every single one of its commitments during this time, and I thank God for that. That really is a great time. Sure. The anointing is so strong, I don't know what to do. <laughs> praise Jesus. Oh, praise you, Lord God. I'm going to share, first of all, I have... the honor of sharing on the offering, and I want to talk about the well-known, well-known story of the five fishes and the two loaves, or the five loaves and two fish, and it's from Matthew 14. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns, and when Jesus has landed and saw a large crowd... He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Everything that Jesus does comes from that place of compassion. Whatever you're going through, Jesus has a heart of compassion for your situation. As evening approached, so now he was busy the whole day healing people and ministering to people. As the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. I think the disciples had a bit of a selfish motivation there. They were hungry, and they were tired of Jesus ministering to the crowds, and they wanted some private time with Jesus. So they wrapped their request up into a very spiritual idea and said, send them away so that they can go buy food. Shame, man, it's late. They've been here all day long. And Jesus answers, and this is always the answer Jesus gives. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. <laughs> so suddenly, the disciples want their need met. They want to be fed. They are hungry. It's been a long day of ministry. Who knows that a, a whole day conference is a tiring day? Yeah. Ministering to 5,000 people from early till late as a, as a disciple, as a servant, you're going to be tired. <laughs> and on top of that... Now you want a break from that, and Jesus says, you give them something. In the middle of a remote place, you haven't planned, you haven't been able to work out the budget, you've not had an opportunity to prepare yourself, and suddenly Jesus puts you on the spot and says, okay, you solve the problem. You give them something to eat. And like always, what is our answer? We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. We know that it, in John it talks about it's a little boy that had it. So they went around and asked everybody, what have you got? What have you got? 
and they thought they'll be able to get something worthwhile put together. And all they could get together was five pieces of bread and two fish. So relative to the problem, it was irrelevant. It couldn't really solve 5,000 people's need. And Jesus answers also in a way that he always answers. Bring them here to me. So whenever you feel not good enough, whenever the answer that you can prepare is inadequate, whenever what you have to give in the situation can't solve it, Jesus just says, bring it here to me. Bring what you have to me and let me work with that. Now think of this little boy, okay? If you look at what you have to eat and you look at the crowd, I'm going to hold on. The bigger the need is, the more the natural response is to hold on. The greater the situation is not ready to be answered, the more we'll try and protect ourselves and say, this is mine, I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to eat mine before you get a chance to eat it. Because I know if I give my five loaves and two fishes away, I'm going to get nothing. If I'm going to get one five thousandth of that, it's going to be nothing. But he obviously gives it. And what happens? And he directed them to, the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. So understand this exchange. Jesus says, bring it to me. As I bring it to him, he gives it back to them after he's prayed over it. After he has blessed it. After he has broken it, he gives it back to them. And he says, hand it out. It is that process we have to understand that when we bring what we have to Jesus, he's going to multiply it. He's going to change it. He's going to put it so that what is not enough for one becomes enough for 5,000. <laughs> What's not enough for your situation becomes enough so that what does it happen then? They gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And there were broken pieces left over, 12 baskets full. So there was more left over than what they started with. So God will take what you have from being not enough to being more than enough. From being <laughs> not even enough for your own need and you give it to God, He makes it enough for the 5,000 and enough that you can have enough to left over to take home. What a powerful understanding of giving is. People think us charismatics give to get. Isn't it like that? We think as we give, we are going to have more. But Robert Morris, one of the greatest teachers on finances, says, we get to give. That little boy was given food by his mom when he left home the morning. And she thought it was for him. But he had it. So that when Jesus wanted to see, what am I going to multiply? He had something in his hands. Then the little boy gave it to the disciples, and they gave it to Jesus. And in that process of giving, you're not getting for yourself. You're not giving to get. You are getting to give. You have to believe that God is going to put in your hands something that he can multiply. 
something that he can take to the next place, something that can fill the needs of thousands and thousands. As a church, we are beginning to stretch our hands out and believe God for our own building. And the cost accountants part of me tries sums, and the sums don't work out. There's no way the sum wants to work. Well, if that one does this, and if that one gets that contract, and, and I look around and I try and work it out, and then it doesn't work. But when I look at it from the point of view of somebody with an instruction from God to build a building, with an instruction of God to establish the church in this area, then I suddenly see it. I'm saying, God, multiply what's in our hands. We give to you what we have because we are expecting you to multiply it. You're welcome to bring up your offering. We won't take up an offering as yet. Bring up your offering. Come and put it in because God is going to do something with it. God is going to take what you bring and multiply it. Do it in faith that it's not about the amount that you give, but it's about what God is going to do with that amount. It's what God is going to be able to do with it. In this week, again, we will support soup kitchens across the country. I think five or six places in the country, including right here, we are feeding hundreds of people. Because we take what God has given us and we allow Him to multiply it. It is not about us. It's not about the church. It's not about us. It is about God being able to take it and doing something incredible about it. Thank you. Wow. That stirs my heart because I know God's going to do something incredible with that offering. Lord Jesus, I pray. Father God, that every one of us will have the same experience as that little boy. Father God, what he thought was just enough for himself suddenly became enough to feed thousands and thousands. Suddenly became enough to have left over more than what was started with. Lord, and this is our prayer in this one, that it would both account in our own lives, but it would also achieve much in the kingdom of God. That somebody somewhere will know that you have compassion on them and that you have heard their cry by what happens through this finances. In Jesus' name, amen. Whoa, what a powerful time that was. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm carrying on something that I've preached for the last while, that this is the time of Hezekiah. I'm not going to repeat the sermon. I'm just going to touch on it, and then I'll take it to other scriptures around it. So in 2 Chronicles 29, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the, doctor, the daughter of Zechariah. So he is the descendant of a prophet and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done in the first year of his reign in the first month in other words the first thing he did was he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them you see we are in that time when the doors are open again when the doors of the place of worship have been opened so that we can worship there. And the next thing he does, and this is so important, then he brought the priests and the Levites, and he gathered them in the east square, square and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord of God of your fathers, 
and carry out the rubbish from this holy place. This is a time of cleansing. This is a time of sanctification. This is a time of fixing up. This is a time of making sure that there is nothing in your heart that doesn't belong there. God is not going to be able to operate in this place if we have hearts of offense, if we brought in the stuff that we got hurt during this time, if we allow anything to come in here that is not of God. So we have to, have to, have to, as a body of Christ, saying get rid of the rubbish in our lives. Get rid of everything that's not of God. And that happens right here at this altar. Not necessarily here, but at a place where you fall on your knees and you say, God, I'm a sinner. I don't care how long you've given your life to Christ. I don't care what you've done right. But you have to acknowledge that without the grace of Jesus Christ, we're all messed up. We're all dirty. We're all full of rubbish. Okay? And we need a time of cleansing before God can take the body of Christ forward. We need a time of repentance. We need a time of saying, this is the time of Hezekiah. And the first priority is to clean out. The first priority is to say, God, change me. Not, don't change my actions, God, but change me on the inside. Change my heart's desire. Change my passions. Change that that makes me act the way I act. And that is the starting place. Sure. And carry out the rubbish from the holy place. You have to understand that you are the temple of God. You are the one of the holy place. You have to be absolutely sanctified. Just like they couldn't have rubbish in the temple. So you can't have things in your life that doesn't belong there. In this time, God challenged me on Eli. And it's one of the hard source stories in the Bible where Eli's sons messed up at the altar. They made people by violence to give them sacrifices. And they took from them what they didn't want to give and forced it onto the sacrifice. And God started saying, you are hurting my name by the way you are acting at the altar. You're not cleaning yourself out before you come and serve at the altar. And God started dealing with the sons of Eli. And he said, it's time that you repent. And Eli himself spoke to his sons and said, it's time to repent. It's time to clean out. Why is it getting so quiet here now? <laughs> and uh, Eli didn't do anything about those that didn't sanctify themselves before they served at the altar. His very own sons. And uh, this is what happens in verse 1 Samuel 2 and verse th th 35. The, the sons died. And then God says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. You see, Eli's sons were meant to take on the anointing. They were meant to step into that place. But when they didn't, Samuel rose up, and God rose up somebody else to take on the thing that was there. He will not allow his name to be rubbished. He will not allow sin to come and stay at the altar. He will always be in a time of cleansing. Now I want to touch on Joel 2 
It's one of the scriptures that all charismatics know so well, or portions of it the charismatics speak so much of. But let's go a little bit deeper into Joel 2. Start at verse 1. Sound the trumpet in Jerusalem. Raise the alarm on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble in fear, because the day of the Lord is upon us. You see, you have to hear when God speaks. In January and February this year, and maybe even already in November, December last year, the prophets should have been speaking out. And they should have been saying, get ready, because the day of the Lord is coming. Prepare yourselves for something that's coming. I'll jump to 12, because I won't go into all the harsh things that God said. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for He is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. God is saying, church, cleanse yourself. Get your heart sorted. Whatever is in your heart that's not of me, it's time for it to be sorted. Who knows, perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. We'll speak about the grain and wine in a second. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Verse 14. Gather all the people, the elders, the children, and even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Means even those on honeymoon. Let them all get together. From old to young, everybody better come here. Let the priests who minister in the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. Imagine how strange it will be if all the ushers are standing from there to here, and they are crying because of the state of the church. They're not just greeting with a nice greet, welcome to see you, but they're crying because of the pain you're in. They're crying because God's saying, it's time to cleanse, it's time to fix, it is time to move to the next level. You cannot stay the way you are. You have to allow God to come and minister. God is not saying that there's not a time to jubilee and to celebrate. But we can only celebrate once we have been at the altar and allowed God to cleanse us. We can only enter into what God has promised later in Joel 2, which the charismatics can quote off by heart, if we've gone through the start of Joel 2, which says, cleanse, sort yourself out. Oh. Let them pray. Spare your people, Lord. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. You see, that's verse 17. It is, don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. Spare your people, Lord. Don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, has God of Israel left them? You see, we need to come really to a place of being so in line with God that we are standing in place for His people. And we're not just about a club that has a good fun here on a Sunday morning, but we are surely here to pray for God's people. Then the Lord will have pity on His people, verse 18, and jealously guard the honor of His land. And the Lord will reply, Look, I'm sending you the grain, the new wine, and the olive, tree, 
olive oil. What is those three things? The grain, uh, verse, put up for me, verse, um, verse and 19. There we go. I will send you the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil. Now, grain talks about sustenance. It is enough. It's financial. It is what you eat. It talks about providing for you. So God is going to provide for you. Lovely. I like that. I appreciate that. Number two is the new wine. That is the Holy Spirit. That is the joy. That is the, the new wine always speaks about joy. And we've heard so many sermons at this time that we cannot put the new wine into the old wine skins. And it comes from this uh, Joel ministry that says God is going to give us His Holy Spirit. And we all need His Holy Spirit because we need to be able to hear His voice. We need in business, in ministry, in relationships, in marriage, in with our children, in every aspect of it. We need the new wine to be able to operate. If we try and operate in our own strength, we will come to nothing. But we need the Holy Spirit. We need Him in every bit of our lives. And the third thing that God is going to give is the olive oil. That is the anointing that allows you to take that new wine that He has given you to touch other people's lives. It is the anointing, but it's not anymore about me and my needs. I am now stepping into a place where I can minister to others. From my brokenness, all three of those things, grain, new wine, and olive oil, comes out into its function through a process of crushing, through a process of being broken down. You all know that I worked for my first 12 years in a flower mill in Port Elizabeth. If you drive in Deal Party in PE, there's a big Sasco mill. I spent many years of my life on top of that mill. And when those machines start up and it starts crashing the wheat, all eight or nine floors of it vibrates like this because it's such a process of breaking down. And the sound as those rollers run on top of each other and it just breaks everything into it. And nothing can withstand the pressure of that breaking. But then it comes out, that wheat comes out in this beautiful white flower. What looked like just something dirty, something that was gathered full of dust, as it was in the silos, suddenly goes through a shaking, suddenly goes through a breaking, and out comes the beautiful pure flower that we used to bake with. But it's in that crushing that the purification takes place. Wine, we know that it gets crushed. We've all seen the movies in French where they jump into a big bowl and they tramp barrel and they tramp on it, and there's the red wine which talks about the blood of Jesus and everything gets stained red. But it's in the crushing that the new wine flows. It's in the process. You cannot stay the same. You cannot come out of this process whole and think you're going to function. It's in that broken place where you fall down and say, God, I cannot take one more step. I don't know how to do the next thing. Everything I have, I've given. Then that which God has given us comes out. Then the olive oil, what does oil do? It makes machinery run smoothly. Okay? If you put a car with, full of fuel and full of everything else, but you put no oil in it, it'll run for a while, but it'll run noisily and not long and everything will get stuck. Everything, nothing will happen. But if you put oil in, 
then it flows freely, then everything works. And that is what the anointing oil does. It lets everything work. If you try and cook an egg and you don't put oil in the pan, what's going to happen to the egg? It's going to get stuck. It's going to get burnt. So you need the anointing oil to do the work of God. You cannot try and do it outside of the anointing oil. You have to have it to be that barrier that allows it to cook normally, allows it to cook without getting stuck, allows it to get to its process. It allows the machinery to function. Is that anointing. And Frontline is going to push in for more anointing, more power, more miracles, more things happening here. We sang just now, we are ready for more, Lord. And this is what we are ready for. We are ready for more of the anointing. We are ready for more of the olive oil. We know it's going to come out in the crashing. It's going to come out when we are broken. It's going to come out when we lie on beds at night and cry, God, how do we carry on? How do I do the next step? It's in that process that's going to come out the beauty, the pure wheat, the red wine that reflects the blood of Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit that's going to give us joy and laughter and just crazy good times. But it's also in that time that the olive oil is going to flow. That is going to truly make things move smoothly forward. Lord Jesus, we just give you our lives. And we say, Father God, the crashing has sometimes been more than what we can endure. The processes have just been so difficult. But Lord God, we know that in this time, you are bringing forth these three things as you have promised in Joel. As you have said, it's going to come nearly impossible. So we know it will come forward. Oh, it says enough to satisfy your needs. Look, I'm sending you grain and new wine and olive oil enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. I don't want to take too much time. So I'll jump to verse 21. Don't be afraid, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. You must know God is saying this prophetic word in the time that Israel has been crushed. Israel has been attacked by the northern armies that they said were like locusts that just came through and took everything. There was nothing left after they had finished. And they had come and come and come. And God says... Be glad now, don't be afraid. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. The trees will again be filled with fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down once more. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. So God is saying in the midst of the challenges, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain. And the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. Not only enough for now, but overflowing. This is the God we serve. The God is not just enough. Man, Christians operate so often on the place of just enough. My salary is just enough to pay my debt. My salary is just enough to keep me alive. But God has promised us a place of overflow. A place of more than enough. We have to move into that place of more than enough. God says, I'm going to give you overflow. It's never going to be just enough. Let's jump to verse 28. Then after doing all these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. 
This is the part that the charismatics love. This is the part that can I say we charismatics love when God says I'm going to pour out my spirit. But we skip the part about the crashing. We skip the part about the process. We just want the end results. God is not only interested in the end results. He's interested in the process. There's a journey, my people. There is a journey. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. This makes me so... People that say that women shouldn't be in ministry. But then you say, God says, my sons and my daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. If God is not pouring out His Spirit on men and women alike, how can you say that half of them cannot minister? How can you even dream of saying it's not for everyone? He's wasting His time on pouring out His Spirit on half of the people. On 50% of the people. It can't happen. God says, I'm pouring out my Spirit. Frontliners, I want to tell you, God is pouring out His Spirit on every single one. Young and old. Men women, servants, the rich, the poor, can I say in South Africa, black and white and everybody in between, God is pouring out His Spirit on each one and there's no division in Joel, it doesn't say this is just for the white or just for the black, He says I'm going to pour it out on my servants, on whoever is willing to say I'm here God, do what you have to do, I'm going to pour out my Spirit. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on servants, men and women alike. And I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth. The last verse of Joel says this. These will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called. This is the word where we get the word remnant from. We talk about the remnant. It's that word survivors that in some translations gets translated as the remnant. We are all survivors. We have survived 2020. <laughs> we have got through the best that the devil could throw at us. Satan has done everything he can to stop the church of God. But God has put his anointing on the survivors. He has put his anointing on the remnant that said we have stood the test. Satan has come to shake you and to rattle everything you believe in and he has challenged who you are. But the fact that you are here today says that you are a survivor. You are one that's going to carry it through. I just want to quickly touch on the New Testament. Oh, and this part I blame on Logan. I followed her scriptures that she reads on her, the Bible app. And I landed up here in Philippians. Oh, Lord Jesus. And I'm just trying to pick out what I want to say now because I don't want to lose this time. Let's jump to verse 3. My prayers for you are full of praise to God as I give Him thanks for you with great joy. And this is how I feel about Paul. The fact that we are here today means that our prayers have been answered means that God has done that which we've asked. We are here today. I prayed with great faith, verse 6, for you, because I'm fully convinced that the one who began this glorious work in you 
will faithfully continue the process of maturing you. Christians, we cannot stay little babies. We have to say, God, mature me. Let me be strong enough to stand up in this time. Let me get to the next level. Oh, praise you, Jesus. And you will be faithfully continue the process of maturing you. And will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is still busy putting the finishing touches on me. If there's anything that you see in me that you don't like, know that God is not finished yet. And the same with you. Okay? God is still busy with us. And God is busy doing. Verse 9, I continue to pray for your love to grow and increase beyond measure, bringing you into the rich revelation of spiritual insight in all things. Church, we need to have a greater insight. We need to pray for discernment that we understand the times. I believe the world is still going to go through much eruptions at this time. And we need to be so in tune with God that we can catch and understand what's coming. You see, we need to truly discern the times. Oh. Oh. Verse 10 says, Then you will be able to choose the most excellent way. I had to laugh when we were praying in the pastor's lounge. This exact prayer came up. It said that you will be able to choose the right and most excellent way. Becoming pure and without offense until the unveiling, unveiling of Christ. Church, we cannot have any offense in our hearts. And you will be filled completely with the fruits of righteousness. We will be filled completely with what God is. Verse 18. Yet in spite of all of this, I am overjoyed. Oh, praise you, Lord Jesus. And I'm jumping a little bit further down. And I will continue to rejoice because I know that the lavish supply of the Spirit of Jesus, the Anointed One, and your intercession for me will bring about my deliverance. Paul is in jail and he's saying, I know that your continued prayer and what Jesus Christ supplied is going to set me free. If God can set Paul free from a physical jail, then he can set you free from whatever you're going through. Whatever is hampering you, whatever is holding you out, whatever you need deliverance from, Jesus can set you free of that. Oh, praise God, praise God. No matter what, I will continue to hope and passionately cling to Christ. Verse 20. No matter what, I will continue to hope and passionately cling to Christ. That's all we can do. We can passionately hold on to Him. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter what comes our way. Doesn't matter how tough it is. We will cling to Him. Verse 27. Whatever happens, keep living your lives based on the reality of Christ, which He reveals to Him and to others. You see, when we hold on to Christ, we are revealing Him to others. When others see how you hold on to Christ in the midst of hard times, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of things not working out the way you thought they are going to work out, it is going to reveal Jesus to them. Oh Lord Jesus, let our lives shine like that. Let us be a revelation to those who are hungry for you, to those that need you. 
is dependent on you staying in tune with him and stepping up when he says step up then the concepts of the grain the new wine and the olive oil I've already touched on that the grain is provision the wine is the Holy Spirit in a joyful way and the olive oil is the anointing that touches and changes those around us and then the last concept that we said we must always understand is the remnant the survivor we've all been called into that place when we say remnant arise as the name of our prayer meeting it's not just a nice sounding word it says that we are those that have survived the attack we are those that have stood the test of time we are those that are here to truly bring in a change oh jesus 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 i'd like to do an altar call now i want to invite you if you have never made jesus lord of your life then now is your time so i'm hearing all the stuff about olive oil and new wine and grain and i don't know if i'm part of that i don't know if it applies to me then i want to say to you jesus just said there is one word call upon the name of the lord and you will be saved there's only one thing you have to do it's call on him and say god i want to give my whole life to you i understand that this time is so significant in the history of mankind and because of that i want to be part of what you're doing and i want to give my life to the lord i remember the day when somebody in a schoolyard said to me and asked me do you believe in jesus and i'm asking that question of each one of you tonight today do you believe in jesus my answer to him was to swear at him don't come and talk about that to me i'm not interested my parents did that and i've been to church all of my life but i've made my choice that's not for me but i could never ever ever get away from the choice i made and i want to declare to you that you will never get away from knowing that today you were put before a choice and every single one here will one day stand before jesus and if you say i didn't know then he will remind you of this service and say to you that day you had a choice and my prayer is that is there anybody here that hasn't given their life to the lord that god won't let them go for one second because that's what my friend prayed for me my friend said i want you to remember for the rest of your life the choice you made it took two more years before i give my gave my life to christ I wasn't even in the same school as him anymore. He didn't even see what God did. I had to contact him years and years later and say to him, when I traced back to when was the day that God started working in my life, it was that day when you said to me, do I believe in Jesus or not? I swore to you, but something shifted. And I believe God is shifting something else in people today. and you will be reminded of this day for the rest of your life until you choose Jesus every crisis that you face after today you will know that that crisis will be dealt with differently 
if you choose Jesus, you will know that as you go through things, that you have two ways of going through them. God's way or your own way. God is choosing you today. And He is saying, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It doesn't have to be today. I don't have to tick off numbers and say we achieved this number in church. Because that's not what it's about. God is about having an interaction with you. And God is calling you to a choice. God's way or your own way. Can I pray for you? Let's end church. Lord Jesus, I pray that every single heart that's here today will be touched. That every single one will know that you have spoken. And you have said to them, call upon me and I will save you. And you are saying to every single one, every single day, call upon me and you will be saved. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that everyone here is going to call upon you at some stage or other. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website, www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.